the story so far is that we've, on the back of the gospel stories, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and now the disciples are waiting. Um, Jesus has ascended to heaven. Um, we heard the other week how they've replaced Judas, and now the Spirit has come at this time of Pentecost. And they've started talking in different languages. And people are saying that they're drunk. And we pick up the story in Acts 2, 14 to 41. I'm reading from the NLT. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you. Fellow Jews and residents in Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon turn to blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus and Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. You crucified him. and nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep its grip. King David said this about him, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad And my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in his hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow the Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers and sisters, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself for he died and was buried and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses to that. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honour in heaven, at God's right hand, and the Father, as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. 
For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord is my Lord. Sit in the place of honour at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool to your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptised and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Hopefully I won't be preaching for a long time this morning. I think it was Brian a few weeks ago pointed out the 3,000 and what an administration and pastoral issue that would have been to grow your church by 3,000 in one day. So I'm getting to grips with this preaching thing. I know you have to have three points, but I apologise I don't want to start with the same letter. <laughs> We've got Peter, purpose and humility. <laughs> when I looked at this passage and taking in what other people had said over previous weeks, there is so much that we can pull out of here of what Peter's saying, but really it struck me, I wondered about this guy Peter, and who is he? Um, we first meet him in the Gospels, and is Simon Peter. Now, what do we know about Simon? Well, he's a fisherman. He would have been taught um, the scriptures as a young Jewish boy, um, but he presumably wasn't chosen by a rabbi or a teacher and so he went into what was probably family business. And he's a fisherman. He's a husband, his mother-in-law's mentioned. And he experiences hard times. When Jesus meets him, he commandeers his boat. But Peter's been out all night and caught no fish. Presumably this is a big deal for him supporting his family. He's just trying to live his life. But as we go through the Gospels and kind of try and figure out who this guy is, we learn different things about him and his behaviour. And it doesn't always look that good. He's brash and impulsive. He often speaks without thinking. There's an account where Jesus is asking, who do you say I am? And Peter responds with, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus affirms him and praises him for this insight, for this discernment. And so Peter's feeling pretty confident now, pretty happy with his uh, discerning spirit. And then as Jesus goes on to speak about how he'll suffer, Peter leaps forward and says, no, no way, I'm not going to let this happen to you. And Jesus' response to that is, get behind me, Satan. So Peter goes from this height of being affirmed by Jesus and praised to really stern telling off. And I think I can relate to that, those times as a parent, you kind of engage with the children really well and discipline them good, and the next minute you lose your temper. And it's this whole roller coaster of, I've got it right, or I've got it wrong. 
And mostly it's, I've got it wrong, I've got it wrong, I've got it right, I've got it wrong. We're up and down, so I can really relate to Peter. He likes to jump in with both feet. When he sees Jesus walking on the water, his reaction uh, against any of the other disciples is to leap in as well. But also that part of his character led him to cut off one of the guy's ears that came to arrest Jesus. We find that our strengths are also sometimes our weaknesses. He's a man who's aware of his failure. That time when he first meets Jesus and hasn't caught anything, Jesus tells him to put down his nets again, and he catches loads of fish. And Peter's immediate response is to fall on his knees and say, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. And Peter goes on to deny that he even knew Jesus three times. And later, in Acts, he's labelled as uneducated and common. Even so, Simon, Simon Peter, and as we now know him in Acts, Peter, he did walk on the water. He goes on here in this passage in Acts to preach to thousands of people. He goes on to heal all kinds of people. He stands up to and astonishes leaders. And Jesus gives him this new name, Rock. And Jesus says to him, Upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus saw his passion and his power, and I think Jesus saw something in him that maybe Peter didn't see in himself, his friends didn't see in him, wasn't exactly obvious in his behaviour, but Jesus saw it. And then, after Jesus' resurrection, he gently restores Peter's denials by saying, do you love me? Three times, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, I love you. You know I love you. And Jesus commissions him, then feed my sheep. Jesus' first words to Peter are, come, follow me. And Jesus' last words to Peter are, follow me. I think it's better to be a follower who sometimes fails than someone who fails to follow. Your past doesn't disqualify you, it prepares you. Now Peter's stepping into his purpose here in Acts. He spent three years with Jesus, probably half the time scratching his head, saying, what are you talking about, man? It doesn't make a lot of sense. He's told him he's going to be the rock on which he builds a church. And so this common, uneducated fisherman is standing in front of thousands of uh, people from all over the nations and speaking to them. This is not, I imagine, his comfort zone. And I can relate to that. But he's not unprepared. Now, we're on to the second point, purpose. And in exploring our purpose, I think it's necessary to step back even before the Gospels, back to the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created and saw that it was good. What do we know about this God in the first page of our Bible? He is someone that creates, creates good things and takes joy in what he creates. And he says, let's 
make human beings in our image to be like us. He says they will reign, they will be fruitful, they'll multiply, they'll fill the earth and govern it. I think God created creation, the earth, for us to see what we would do with it. He wanted to partner with us and say, look, this is what I've given you. What are you going to do with what I've given you? And that's our purpose. And I think Jesus reiterates this and emphasizes this again. And there's a story that he tells in Matthew 25 called the parable of the talents. And he's talking about what it will be like when he returns. And I think he, for me, is making the point of what have you done with what I've given you? He tells a story of a master who goes away and leaves some of his property with his servants. And the first two servants double the investment that they give him, that his master gives them. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things, and I'll put you in charge of many things, to govern many things. But the last one, he's afraid that he'll lose it or break it or not do well with it, and so he hides it. And he's called evil and lazy. (coughs) That feels like a really big challenge. Jesus says in Matthew 5, don't hide your light. You don't light a lamp and then hide it under a basket. We don't hide our light. We are the light of the world. And I've been feeling like God's saying to me, I've given you these skills, these gifts, these opportunities. Why do you keep ignoring it? Why do you keep sitting on it and hiding it and pretending you're not who I made you to be? God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So I think we need to imagine big things. Now, I've said I can relate to Peter, feeling uneducated and common and being called um, to speak. But maybe you don't. And the day I was thinking this, I find when I'm preparing stuff, I don't know whether you... Uh, come across that thing where you hear a verse again and again, maybe it's in a devotional or someone sends you that verse or it's on the radio and you just think, actually, I need to listen to what God is saying here. And as I've been uh, thinking about this talk and preparing it, that thought came to mind, maybe you don't um, relate to Peter. And as I did, this news article came up. So I just want to share it. It was about a plumber um, from Burnley and he made the headlines because someone put on social media an invoice that he'd sent. And it said, call out to boiler with high pressure and two leaks. But then it goes on to say, the lady is 91 years of age, acute leukemia, end of life care. No charge for this lady under any circumstance. We will be available 24 hours to keep her as comfortable as possible. Balance due, zero. And this plumber has said that he'll keep doing this until the day God calls him. Now, for me, I'm looking at that and thinking, he is doing a lot with what he's been given. He's not in the limelight. He's not head of anything. He is doing his job with his skills and doing it well. We see in this passage in Acts um, two quotes from King David. David says, I see the Lord is always with me and I will not be shaken. David is described as a man after God's own heart. 
and yet he was plagued by troubles and failures. David made plans to build God a temple. And it says in 1 Chronicles, it was my desire to build a temple where the ark of the Lord's covenant could rest permanently. Now that was David's choice. This wasn't a prophetic word from God. But God heard and saw what he wanted to do and said, I'm in that, I'll bless that. I want to work with you and partner with you in this. I don't know whether you've seen Dragon's Den. It's a great show, I love it, where uh, entrepreneurs try and pitch their ideas to the dragons, the business tycoons, in hope of investment. But what I often hear the dragons saying is, I invest in people. And so their pitch may have not been flawless. Their idea may not have been world-breaking, but they've seen something in that person. And that's what God sees in us. He invests in the person. And so you may feel a bit like Peter, carrying labels, negative labels, carrying your failures of your past. But sometimes our greatest purpose can flow from our greatest pain. And we need to know that God's labels and name for us, like he renamed Simon to Peter, to rock. God's names for us are so much greater than the labels we assign ourselves. There's nothing that's happening in your life right now that will not have to pass through the hands of God by the time it's done. And so we live our lives empowered by the Spirit. Why did the Spirit have to come? I think Nigel said last week it wasn't to come and bless us all up, give us fuzzy feelings. Jesus died and was resurrected to put things right. And the Spirit came to reconnect, to re-partner with us. In Genesis, it says, In the beginning, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning, the Spirit of God. And now we've just read here in this passage in Acts, In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. In the beginning, the Spirit of God. In the last days, the Spirit of God. And you will prophesy and see visions and have dreams and receive power to be his witnesses. God has come to reconnect us to the purpose that he originally created us, to partner with him, to push creation forward, to see what we can do with what he's given us, with the jobs he's put us in, with the family he's given us, with the church he's given us. It was interesting a while ago, uh, I was preparing for the prayer meeting and I was looking into the city of Peterborough and we have a coat of arms. didn't really realise that, didn't, hadn't thought about it, but underneath is inscribed, upon this rock. And that just struck me. We live in a city upon this rock. And those are Jesus' words, upon this rock I'll build my church. What will we do with the city that we're in? The opportunity that we have within this community? That is Jesus' words to us, his great commission as we know it. Go and make disciples. That doesn't just mean put on a show here, go and do this event here, do an outreach on the streets. Disciples need fellowship and community. Go and make community. So finally we come to point three. And that's humility. Now, my kids will often ask me to what, what does this word mean? What does that word mean? And it can be really hard. I might know what the word is, how to use it, 
I know what it means, but actually describe it in a way that they will understand without using other words that they need, need describing is very difficult. Now, the, the dictionary definition of humility is the quality of having a modest or low view of one's importance. Well, that, that's not untrue. I'm not going to try and dispute the dictionary. The Bible is not so different, but it does introduce a different thought. In Philippians 2, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, that each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, I think we can miss the two little words in there, only and also. Because, of course, we do need to love each other and put other people above ourselves. But in Ephesians here, it says not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. We're not taught to just ignore ourselves and put ourselves down. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And when we focus on those self-assigned labels, aren't I rubbish, aren't I unqualified, I could never do that, who am I? Who am I to stand up here? Then we're focusing on who... On, our, on ourselves and who we think we are. But humility is this, that God, in his wisdom, chose me, chose to use me, chose to give me these gifts, chose to give me this calling. And who am I, the question is, to tell God that he's wrong? Not who am I to do this, but who am I to say that God shouldn't be calling me to that? We're so preoccupied with our sinful nature and our fallen nature that we've forgotten the original design, that God wanted to partner with us. He made you so that he could partner with you and see what you could do with what he's given you. Before the foundations of the world were ever made, we were found blameless in Christ before we were ever found sinful in Adam. And the Spirit comes to reconnect with us. And the whole point of talking about humility here is that I think it's the way to find our purpose. Because there never has been and there never will be anyone like you. And that isn't a testament to you. It's a testament to the God who created you. And it means that no one can worship God like you or for you. Now, a friend of ours came to stay the other week, um, my daughter Abigail's godmother, and she said something that I've had to later ask her to kind of put down um, in words because it, it really struck me. She said, stars just shine, and by shining, they don't make other stars less bright. The presence of a star doesn't remove the value of another star. Each star has its own place and every star is needed for navigation. Don't hide your light under a basket. And God says, I've given you these skills and these opportunities, this family, this community, 
this church. Don't sit on it. Don't ignore your place in it. I think God plants dreams in us that can take a lifetime to grow. And that brings us back to this passage. Peter was the thrill of everything that was going on with the experience of recent days and weeks, the death of Jesus, his resurrection, the outpouring of the Spirit in this powerful way and speaking in different languages with the words of Jesus still ringing in his ears, you're my rock and on this rock I'll build my church, feed my sheep and follow me. But also with the fears and possibilities of his almost certain failures ahead of him, we read, Peter stepped forward. His past didn't disqualify him, it was preparation. And even however aware he was of his own sinfulness, he knew that despite that, God, in his wisdom, had chosen him, positioned him, and prepared him, and wants to see what Peter will do with what he's given him. And so, as the people asked in this passage, so we should ask, what should we do? Peter says, turn to God, you're forgiven. Reach out and take this gift of the Holy Spirit. So I'd encourage you to look this week, what do I have? What purpose is God calling me to? It might even be making a list of all the blessings that God has given you. What things do you have? A home, a car. What money do you have? What time do you have? Who is in your life that God has positioned you near that you can encourage in their faith? Or maybe even share your faith with them. And ask God, what is the name you want to give me? What is my purpose in this season of my life? Because we're not the centre of the story. Jesus is. And we live for the applause of one. One with now scarred hands. Some time ago, at a church prayer meeting, I had a vision, or a picture. I say vision because I think it's young men that have visions. (laughs) Um, And it was a picture of a rocket. And the idea of this church was storing up rocket fuel. And it wasn't being used. And there's so much potential and so much um, opportunity in this church. And then that was reiterated to me uh, over the summer. And God said, I think church is taking a breath in and filling itself, ready for the purpose that I'm calling Breton Baptist to. And now we are in this season of transition, of change. And even if we hadn't already appointed someone, which is fantastic, I think God just says we're not in a holding pattern. We don't even now have to wait for Brian to turn up next year. God has given you a purpose. God has given Breton Baptist a purpose. God has given Breton Township a purpose. God has given Peterborough a purpose, and we are all part of that. And God delights over us. And when we try, he loves us. And when we fail, he loves us. 
but he wants to see what you're going to do with what he's given you. So I just want to take a minute then, and we're going to just invite God just to speak to us and let what has been said this morning just weigh on you and see what God is going to do. Father, I just thank you that you have called us, you have created us for a purpose, that you delight in us, that you want to see what we will create and what you want to partner with us. Just speak to us now. Father, we just thank you that it's not about us, it's about you. And we pray that you'll go with us into this week and give us a confidence to walk in the purpose you've given us. In Jesus' name.